0: The world continues to watch what's unfolding in Israel, and they are concerned about the future. In our next installment of America's Hope, we talk to people who are familiar with what's happening, and they share their views, their insight, their information, and their hope. That's next on America's Hope. Good evening, I'm Kelly Wright, and this is America's Hope, and we're glad that you could join us this hour. You know, the war between Israel and Hamas continues without any apparent pathway to peace. After Hamas carried out its brutal attack on innocent Israeli citizens living along the border of Gaza, killing 1,400 people, it became their 9-11. Since then, Israel has been vowing to destroy the Hamas terrorist network. Israel Defense Forces have been conducting a relentless bombing campaign of Gaza to degrade Hamas before planning to launch or conduct a ground incursion. But they have delayed the dangerous urban warfare to allow for humanitarian relief for many innocent Palestinians trying to evacuate the area of armed conflict. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. once stated this, the chain reaction of evil, wars producing more wars, must be broken or we shall be plunged into the dark abyss of annihilation. And because of this war going on right now, many are now asking that question, does this war have the risk of annihilation? Can there be, as I stated before, a pathway to peace? We're going to be talking about the crisis in our focus on Israel tonight. Let's get started. And so my first guest I'm honored to bring on, she is Dr. Katrina lantos Sweat. She serves as president of the Lantos Foundation for Human Rights and Justice, established in 2008 to continue the legacy of her father, the late and great Congressman Tom Lantos. And under her leadership, the Lantos Foundation has rapidly become a distinguished and respected voice on key human rights issues and concerns. And Dr. Lantos is the former chair and vice chair of the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. She joins us now to weigh in on the matter. It's good to have you on, uh, Katrina. I hope you don't mind me calling you that.
1: Absolutely, thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: It's, it's indeed my, my honor and, and my pleasure as well. You know, we are seeing some very precarious times going on in the Middle East as it relates to Israel. This is something that you know quite a bit about. And I, at first, I want to start with your first reaction to what you see happening in the Holy Land.
1: Well, obviously, um, what is happening now in the Holy Land was precipitated by the unimaginable horror that was visited upon Israel on Ten Seven, But I think we need to see these events in a broader context. This really is a civilizational struggle. It's a civilizational struggle between good and evil, between the forces of democracy and human rights versus the forces of terror, brutality, and authoritarianism. It truly is a time of choosing. And the quote um, that you shared with us from Martin Luther King Jr. is a powerful one, an important one. Um, but it also evokes and brings to mind the, the you know, stark nature of the struggle that the world faced during the Second World War, where, again, it was a civilizational struggle, a battle between good and evil. And this, this really is a time of choosing now.
0: You know, your father experienced what took place in World War II as, as a Holocaust survivor. Uh, as you were growing up, What kind of stories uh, do you recall hearing your father discussing your mother uh, before they fled from Hungary to get here to the United States to start their new life?
1: Well, you know, both of them shared with us the way they became hunted animals in their own country. Both of my parents, both Holocaust survivors were bright, talented, patriotic young Hungarians until they were caught up in the, in the sheer hatred and horror of the Holocaust. And as I say, became hunted animals in their own country. They saw uh, the degree to which former neighbors and friends and business partners um, became enemies willing to, to turn them in and, uh, and betray them to, to um, in some cases, a fate worse than death but they also saw some incredibly powerful lights that shone in the darkness. Both of my parents were ultimately saved in different ways by the great Swedish humanitarian Raoul Wallenberg, a Swedish diplomat from neutral Sweden who left the safety and security of his life there to come to Hungary at the height of the Hungarian Holocaust. with one mission, and that was to try and rescue as many innocent Jewish lives as possible. And my mother tells me that they called him their Moses from the north. And, uh, and that light really did shine in the darkness. And so I think uh, both my sister and I really learned from my parents two lessons, two sides of the coin, the depths of depravity, which uh, human beings are capable of inflicting on each other, and the heights of humanity to which they can rise.
0: I I love the way you unpack that, the the depths of depravity and the heights of humanity. Uh, It reminds me of the fact that we must be about the business of being our brother's keeper and not our brother's killer. Uh, And and certainly through the Lantos Foundation, you have been efforting to do that uh, based on what you've learned as a child growing up and then just uh, a child of history. And so, when you see what's happening and unfolding in Israel today, and 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 the turmoil that they're having with Hamas, and and then the vitriol that we're seeing on college campuses in America, and throughout the world, where pro-Palestinians and pro-Hamas uh, are basically supporting Hamas, uh, I, I understand the plight of the Palestinian people and the fact that they're they're caught up in this, but. Let's not forget that Hamas is the ruling party and really the occupying force in the Gaza. So to that end, when you have an enemy that's vowed to take you out because of your Jewish faith, what does that say to you as someone who grew up in a home of Holocaust survivors who were able to go out and champion the rights of freedom for everyone?
1: Well, your question is is profound and so so beautifully phrased. I would say a few things. First of all, I would say that, as Winston Churchill so memorably said, when you are going through hell, keep going. Hell has come to Israel and and genocide and absolute destruction is what Hamas has promised to bring. And so I think we have to, in a clear-eyed way, understand that Israel has no choice but to eliminate Hamas. And if you think back again to the Second World War, both Winston Churchill and Franklin Delano Roosevelt agreed on a policy of unconditional surrender. They knew that in dealing with the embodiment of evil, which was the Nazi regime, you couldn't look for an armistice or a ceasefire or an effort just to stop the fighting as much as everybody would love to see that happen there had to be the utter destruction of the Nazi regime. And one of the lessons of history is that what was able to be built out of that utter destruction of the Nazi regime was modern Germany, modern Japan, democratic allies, um, strong supporters of the rule of law, of democracy, of human rights. Uh, You speak about the Palestinian people and they are surely also victims of Hamas. And that is something that I think we also need to keep in mind in a very clear eyed way, that um, whenever war takes place, of course, there will be dark and tragic days for all sides. And I mourn, all people of goodwill mourn, um, mourn the, the terrible things that, uh, that innocent Palestinians will have to endure. But it is being brought upon them By the murderous hand of Hamas. And I want to just underscore how important it is not to engage in the really deceitful, uh, you know, sort of game of of trying to establish moral equivalence. In Israel, their fighters interpose themselves between the danger and, and the innocent civilians. They put their lives on the line to protect the innocent. In Gaza, The Palestinians force their innocence to be unwilling human shields. Israel uses its fighters to defend the innocent. Hamas uses the innocent to defend their murderous fighters. There is no moral equivalence. And the Palestinian victims are victims of Hamas.
0: So important for you to point that out, because a lot of people have forgotten that, including some members of Congress, Uh, what would be your message to members of Congress who perhaps have uh, uh, looked at history through a, a, a skewed lens and perhaps they don't really know all the history of what led up to World War II and the Nazis, bearing in mind now that the president of the United States who traveled to Israel last week told the Israeli people as well as Bibi Netanyahu, the Israel prime minister, that he compared Hamas to being like ISIS. And then, of course, the German chancellor, Uh, Olaf Scholz going on to say that Hamas is the equivalent of Nazis. So from that perspective, what would you say to those members of Congress and others on college campuses, professors, and academia who have supported the notion that Israel in some way, somehow, is being racist and genocidal?
1: Well, first, um, as you suggested, I really want to commend President Biden. His response, I think, has been strong It has been unequivocal. And what matters a great deal to me, I used to work for Joe Biden. He was my first boss out of law school. So there's a a personal affection and connection there. But it's very clear to me that his uh, response, which has been so strong, has come from the heart. And I think that matters a lot. He is not simply sort of saying words of solidarity as talking points, but from the heart. But as it relates to the thousands of college students, to the handful of members of Congress, um, their, their efforts to excuse, to contextualize, to justify the atrocities committed by Hamas will redound to their shame for the rest of their lives. It will redound to their everlasting shame. They will never be able to live down the shame of having attempted to equivocate or justify or excuse a level of savagery and brutality that has shocked even some of the most hardened war correspondents, military fighters, anti-terror specialists in the world. Um, it, It shows to me that they have utterly lost their moral compass, utterly lost their moral compass. And, um, and I have nothing but contempt for them, but I don't underestimate them. And that is why it is so important, why I'm so grateful to you that I have the opportunity to be on this program. We who see um, the shamefulness of what they are saying and doing, we must speak out boldly and unafraid Um, I saw a very interesting article written by sort of a a very liberal, left-leaning, progressive, woke, if you will, uh, individual, Jewish individual, um, who has described his own shock and horror and dismay at the way those he thought of as allies have reacted with cavalier dismissal at the death, the intentional murder, of his own people, his own cousins, if you will, in Israel. And he has sort of said, I just woke up and recognized I've been in an abusive relationship and I'm getting out.
0: Uh, Katrina, you're in Washington uh, for that purpose. Uh, uh, Tell me why you're in Washington and what will happen. It's a significant event.
1: Well, thanks so much for the opportunity. Yes, every year, the Lantos Foundation Awards, it's Lantos Human Rights Prize, it's our highest honor, and we use that award to recognize real heroes in the global human rights movement. This year, long before the tragic events of 10-7, we had um, selected the very, very distinguished, I think the world's most distinguished human rights lawyer, Professor Erwin Kotler, to receive the 2023 Lantos Human Rights Prize. Professor Kotler has sometimes been called Freedom's Counsel because he has undertaken to represent and defend some of the most prominent prisoners of conscience in the world, from Nelson Mandela to Natan Sharansky and every major human rights figure you can think of in between. And he's really a man of extraordinary Intelligence and dignity and idealism. But somehow the award has become even more meaningful because Professor Kotler, who's Canadian himself, he's the former Justice Minister of Canada and Canada's first special envoy um, to combat anti Semitism. He has family members who live in Israel. His daughter is Israel's special envoy to combat anti Semitism. He has three of his own grandchildren who serve in the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces. And so somehow, although we certainly didn't anticipate it and wish it were not so, it has made this award event even more meaningful than it otherwise would have been.
0: Katrina, thank you for that. As you stated to me uh, during the break, there is no middle ground between good and evil.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And that and that's well said. And you know, I, I'll, I'll end it with this. Um, you know you you've been working a champion of, of human rights uh, and of course we always hold out hope that we can uh, take out bad people evil people and and get and get them to a place where we can actually perform a more perfect union I've got to ask you what's your hope for America and Israel uh, during these troubling times
1: mm. Another wonderful question. You ask the best questions. Um, Well, first of all, my hope and prayer is for strength, for resoluteness, that they will be valiant and that we will be valiant in this very difficult and dark time. Um, My hope is for the comfort and the courage that comes from knowing that you are engaged in a worthy cause and and a righteous battle. And specifically for our country, for the United States of America, which I love so dearly, and like I'm sure most of your viewers, it's been painful for me to see the divisions that have arisen in our society. I hope that the gravity, the severity, the seriousness of this moment will cause us to put aside our petty differences, um, to find again our common ground um, around the values that lie at the heart of this country, uh, respect and, and honoring of the rights of all individuals, defending human rights and democracy, and standing shoulder to shoulder with those who seek to do the same in their part of the world. So I hope we may we can, may come out of this a stronger and more united nation.
0: I ditto to that. I agree with you hundred <laughs> uh, percent, Katrina. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this hour. appreciate you so much.
1: Thank you. It's been a privilege to be with you and thank you for what you do.
0: Thank you. We're back with more in just a moment. Susan Michael joins us now from Florida to talk about the role that ICEJ plays in its mission to help people in Israel. And certainly this is a time, Susan, that. Our neighbors and friends living in Israel need help. The President of the United States has pledged unwavering support for Israel, stating that it has the right to defend itself. But from the standpoint, Susan, of you reaching out to people in Israel to help them emotionally and spiritually, how vital is that?
2: Well, at this time, it is absolutely uh, critical and necessary. Uh, You know, our organization has been uh, bringing humanitarian aid and practical assistance to Israel for 43 years now. And in the last five or 10 years, we've been very active in the area outside of Gaza, which is called the Gaza Envelope. And we have placed almost 200 bomb shelters in that area in vulnerable communities and brought other aid and assistance. So we know all the people there. And this for us has been heartbreaking because we, it's not just Israelis, we know these people, we knew uh, some of the leaders that have been killed. And uh, I I tell you, the whole country is in trauma. They're in a state of shock and they're rallying together now, of course, to come against and, and to eradicate this terrorist entity on their Southern border. But there are many devastated lives. Right now, today, there are 60,000 Israelis that have been evacuated from their homes. And so they are displaced persons inside Israel. And while the UN is calling for humanitarian aid for the Gazans, they don't say anything about the Israelis that also need aid. They need housing, food, clothing, and tremendous amounts of traumatic counseling so we are there on the ground representing millions of bible-based christians around the world saying we love you we support you we're praying for you and here we want to help you and here's our practical aid and assistance and i'll tell you there's never been a more critical time for our ministry than there is now
0: You stated that so well uh, and you talked about the fact that the humanitarian crisis for the people some 60,000 Israelis uh, who had lived in the Gaza area and this attack that took place on October 7th their 9-11 has forced them to flee And, and so they have they have issues that that are for all intents and purposes insurmountable right now with the exception of the fact that ministries like yours and the fact that people living in Israel have opened up their homes to total strangers saying, come in, let's bond together as we go through this. Uh, why do you think the world, you mentioned the UN not, not uh, making note of that, uh, why do you think the world has overlooked that humanitarian uh, crisis going on for people uh, in the, on the Israeli side?
2: Well, I think they hold Israel to a double standard. So they see Israel as the aggressor, which of course they are not. This war was started by Hamas. They are the aggressor. But the world continues to see Israel as the strong man, as the aggressor and therefore the one that doesn't need uh, any assistance. But, you know, having said that, There are many leaders around the world that are voicing their support of Israel, and they understand this was a horrendous terrorist attack. This was not a military attack, military to military. This was military and civilians from Gaza attacking civilians in Israel and bringing about a gruesome massacre. So a lot in the world are rallying around Israel, but as soon as there's any kind of destruction or loss of life in Gaza, then the the fingers get pointed at Israel. And it's time that uh, there's many organizations such as ours that are on the ground in Israel, and we're trying to raise our voices to the humanitarian needs of the people of Israel as well.
0: I'm so glad you are because both sides have uh, have, have received so many casualties uh, and, and it's important that you point out what's happening on the Israeli side since it has been overlooked or marginalized. You know, for 35 years you've been working on the development of the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem. Uh, its, its stated purpose, as you've pointed out, is to help the people living there. And the world right now just seems to be in tatters in terms of understanding and having an in-depth knowledge of just how vital and precious uh, Israel is. We we know that Israel has adversaries that want to wipe it off the face of the planet. Why does that exist in your opinion?
2: Well, look, as a Bible-believing Christian, I believe in good and evil. And there are evil forces in the world, and they will use men when they can, and um, and that, I think that's what we have. Because when you look at this gruesome, murderous attack, there's no other explanation for it other than it's pure evil. There's no explanation for it, so um, I think that we just have to recognize that, and and um, you know, I think our hearts just go out to Israeli people because the attack was so gruesome, this is gonna leave a scar on them, you know, for decades. And the world Mm. needs to recognize that. You know, Kelly, this attack on Israel is uh, over 10 times worse than what we went through on 9-11 in terms of just sheer numbers. Israel's small, so 1,300 people killed. That sounds like a small number to Americans. But if you relate that to the percentage of the population, it's over 50,000 Americans killed in a 72 hour period. That is the gravity of this situation and why we need to recognize that and rally to Israel's side.
0: You know, you're, you're, you're right. in the President of the United States, when he visited Israel and, and spoke uh, with Bibi Netanyahu, who, of course, is the Israeli Prime Minister. He basically stated this is like 15 times the 9/11 that we experienced, based on those numbers that you've just uh, alluded to. Uh, more to the point, though, the president was very strong in stating that Hamas is like ISIS. We know that uh, the German Chancellor has stated that Hamas is like the Nazis. Uh, you have visited Israel, and and I have visited Israel, and I've spoken to so many uh, Holocaust survivors and I visited Yad Vashem which is the memorial to the Holocaust. Uh, Talk to me about the fact that this keeps coming up again and again and, and Israel must never forget the Holocaust and now it's thrust with the realization that it must never forget October 7th.
2: Well, you know, I had someone call me just the other day saying, I need to understand what is going on and why, you know, why is this hatred? And this hatred comes up in almost every generation. We call it anti-Semitism, but it is a an evil spiritual force because you can't stamp it out. And every time you think you stamped it out, it just comes back with a different name, a slightly different projection. But at the end of the day, it's just hatred of the Jewish people and often the desire to annihilate them, wipe them off the face of the map. And in the Nazi time, that ideology, the Nazi uh, ideology, was based on racial beliefs at the time. And so it was the race, it was the Jewish race, which was like contaminating the earth and it had to be eradicated so that the superior race, the Aryans could uh, thrive. Um, Today, of course, nobody would go along with that type of antisemitism. So today it's a political face. It's a face that says the Jewish state, the Jewish collective is the evil in the earth. It's the cancer in in the earth and it needs to be eradicated. And what we have to recognize is this is just a new face on an old hatred. And to understand the roots of that hatred, as I said earlier, you have to go back to the Bible and the teaching, the reality that there's good and evil in the world. And this is an evil force that is against the Jewish people because they have a special calling and role uh, before God. And that is the only explanation that makes any sense. And that's why our organization while Israel is fighting this battle militarily, our organization is promoting many prayer initiatives. We need to pray for Israel because it is spiritual at its roots.
0: You know, Susan, uh, this, this dastardly deed inflicted upon the people of Israel uh, along the northern border of Gaza has, uh, has broken the hearts of many people, yet it's reminded us of the great work that ICEJ and other ministries like yours do to broker better understanding between Jews, Christians, and Arabs operating in the same region and living in the same region. Uh, You work towards reconciliation between these groups. Is reconciliation off the table? Can it ever be uh achieved again
2: well you know a lot of our reconciliation is with christian arabs and they have the same biblical beliefs that we do as non-arab christians and so we we have a point of um, agreement there but I will say the only way for there to be reconciliation at a political level, say, between the people of Gaza and Israel or the people of the, the Palestinian Authority in Israel, there's only one way that reconciliation is going to take place, and that is that we completely clean up their school systems and their, their school books and curriculum and get rid of all the teachings that are anti-Semitic and anti-Israel and that promote a jihadist type of approach to this. In Gaza, Hamas schools are teaching jihad. I'm sorry to say, but even UN-funded schools are teaching anti-Semitism. So every young generation is brought up with poisoned minds. And uh, right now, the average age in Gaza is 19. So these are young people right out of the schools and their minds have been poisoned and their lives are ruined because of it. That is the one way that we can better that situation is by going in and just putting in all new curriculum like the Israeli curriculum and that teaches peace and reconciliation. Then you can grow up a new generation of people who understand the importance of peace and the benefits of living in peace with Israel. They could be the most prosperous, peaceful, and innovative Arab nation on earth if they just live in peace and enjoy the benefits of it.
0: Do you have hope that that can be achieved?
2: Absolutely, I find great hope in that because we've seen it already happening in the countries that have signed the Abraham Accord agreements with Israel, Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates. Um, They have been changing their textbooks. They have been, for the first time, teaching that the Holocaust happened. And and these countries are getting pretty fed up with the Palestinian radicalization. They actually want peace with Israel because they know the benefits to the entire Middle East region. And that's why before this conflict, even Saudi Arabia was beginning to warm up to the idea. And I believe that they also would de-radicalize their textbooks, which they probably already have because uh, the the current government, they, they're as scared of the radicalization as the West is, so they don't want it taking place. So that gives me great hope. Now, this situation in Gaza, um, Hamas will be eradicated. The question is, Who's going to be the government in Hamas, in Gaza? Because Hamas took over in 2007 through a bloody coup. They took over the government. And um, so who's going to become the next government? And whoever that is, if the West can enforce this, that they must de-radicalize their textbook, it's very possible. But it just depends on who and what's next.
0: Well, I'm very privileged to have you on the show. And thank you for being a fellow alum. I did not know that and had to uh, call that out. Uh, thank you so much, Susan. Coming up next, we'll talk to Joel at TN. We'll be right back. And welcome back to America's Hope. We're joined now by Jonathan S. Tobin. He's the editor-in-chief of JNS. That's Jewish News Syndicate. And Mr. Tobin is talking to us tonight about Israel's right to a counteroffensive. Going into Gaza and the fact that it's both legally and morally justified. When this counteroffensive gets underway, we're thinking about a ground invasion. What do you think that will cause uh, as we see people on the ground going into a possible ground war with Hamas?
3: If Hamas survives because of sympathy for Palestinian civilians, this is not only unjust. It will be a green light for terrorists everywhere, including the the Iranian terrorist network, people like Hezbollah. Iran is the leading state sponsor of terrorism in the world. Americans have to have Israel's back, not just because it's the right thing to do, because it is the right thing to do, because we have to understand this is a global war. You know, remember, when we were attacked on 9-11 and that terrible trauma, Americans were by no means willing to listen to calls for a ceasefire from Al-Qaeda, with Al-Qaeda on, on 9-12. What did we do? We went to the other side of the world to take out the terrorist camps in Afghanistan from which these, those criminals had gone forth. Well, the moral equivalent, equivalent for Israel is not the other side of the world. It's next door. And they need to be told by their allies, the people who claim to support the right of the one Jewish state in the world to exist, and, and eliminating it is the one goal of Hamas. They need to hear from Americans go, you know, you, we know you don't want us to do your fighting, you'll do it yourself, but we stand behind you. And even when it gets tough,
0: we're gonna support you until this terrorist evil is wiped out. But when you hear people calling for a ceasefire and a cessation in the aggressive, relentless, a counteroffensive that Israel has conducted so far to defend itself. What is your comment to people who are are calling for that, realizing that that people on the ground living in Israel do not want a repeat of October seventh?
3: You know, politics is difficult. You know, the, the the long struggle between you know over one land. This is that's a complex issue, but the uh, di- you know the the dichotomy between murderers and those who want to take out the murderers is pretty clear. And if you can't figure that out, if you can't be moved to anger or tears or just some kind of moral clarity, if you think, well, the world is just too complex, you know, they should just split the difference. There's no splitting the difference between Israel and Hamas, you know, between Islamist killers, any more that there was a way to split the difference between Western values and ISIS or Al Qaeda.
0: I'm talking to Jonathan S. Tobin, He's editor-in-chief of JNS. We'll be back in a moment on America's Hope. Yeah. And welcome back to America's Hope. I'm talking to Jonathan S. Tobin, he's the editor-in-chief of JNS Jewish News Syndicate. Jonathan, it's an honor to have you on this program to talk about uh, what's what's happening in Israel Uh, Before I get into the next topic, which is the cultural war and the the propaganda war that's been going on, I need to ask you personally, when you saw this unfold on October 7th, and knowing that you have visited Israel, knowing how how precious uh, a a state and region Israel is, I've been there, I love the people there uh, from all walks of life, Jewish, Christian, Islamic where they're trying to, to have this, uh, this, this life that is in the Holy Land. When you saw that attack on their, on their sovereignty as well as on their peace and tranquility to disrupt it and to actually kill people, men, women and children and even babies, what was your initial response?
3: Well, I think, like decent people everywhere, but of course, I have a personal connection to Israel, with friends and and you know, and, and I, you know, I know it well, I've been there at the border many times. Um, I feel rage, I feel anger, I feel frustration, sorrow. I mean, it's it's just terribly depressing. But I think it's a wake-up call for many people. You know, I cover this. this is, you know, I, I live, you know as a journalist, I, I'm on top of these issues but I think for many people, uh, Jews, non-Jews, people who care about Israel, people who are just casual observers, when they see events like this, it's a reminder that the world, not merely is you know a more dangerous place than sometimes we like to pretend that there are terrible, evil people in it. It is that, you know, we're, we're, it's like some of us think, especially Americans today, um, that all the horrible things that we read about happening, you know, in the history books, you know, terrible slaughters, evil people—they're um, not just in the history books. They're alive now. Um, there's a passage from uh, a great piece, Ben Hack, who was a famous Hollywood screenwriter and um, you know Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright, and uh, a Jew who wasn't very connected to his Jewish heritage, and he's a personal hero of mine because. In 1938, he finally became aware of what was going on in Europe at that time, as the Nazis were, were starting their, their brutal persecution of the Jewish people, which led to genocide. And he spoke of himself as having accidentally bumped into history. Hmm. I think a lot of us today are accidentally bumping into history because what happened last week, which is the worst mass slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust, is a reminder that the this sort of brutal, violent and, and just hateful uh, anti-Semitic ideology, you know, sometimes it, it calls itself Nazism, sometimes fascism, sometimes it's allied to communism. In our day, it's allied to Islamism. Um, it's a reminder that those forces that previous generations of Americans fought and died to defeat, those forces are still existing in our world. And sometimes as sad and as frustrating as it can be, we have to fight those battles again. That's, that's the battle that Israel is fighting right now against evil forces, just as Americans, my father's generation fought in World War II against the Nazis. Um, this is the same kind of fight. I know people don't want to think that. They want to say, pretend we can split the difference and that really, you know, the other side isn't really so, so bad and any, any issue can be uh, solved with compromise. There's no compromise with such people. Uh, compromise is possible uh, once such people are thrown out of power and no longer can dominate their peoples and, and governments, um, I would hope, uh, although Hamas has had widespread support within the Palestinian people, Joe Biden has said a lot of good things. He's gotten the empathy and solidarity part right, but he keeps, keeps trying to pretend that they're mar- you know Hamas is marginal. It's not marginal. It's very popular. Uh, it won an election in Gaza in 2006. Um, There hasn't been an election in the West Bank among Palestinians there since 2005. Uh, Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas is currently serving the 19th year of the four-year term to which he was elected at that time. And the reason why there hasn't been another election is because he's pretty sure Hamas would win it. But I would hope that once Hamas is wiped out, just as the Nazis were wiped out in 1945, Palestinian people will choose another path. Hopefully they will, and that will be, a, and hopefully it will be a path toward peace.
0: But so Jonathan, peace
3: can't have a
0: chance until,
3: until Hamas is wiped out.
0: Yet in the streets of America and around the world and on college campuses throughout the United States, we see pro-Hamas uh, forces and pro-Palestinian forces uh, coming against and protesting against Israel, accusing Israel of committing genocide, And then you see pro-israeli people saying israel has a right to defend itself what surprises you about the uprising of this cultural divide that we are now witnessing
3: well i'm not surprised because you sort of uh as as horrifying and as enraging um some of these things that are said in the streets of our cities with people endorsing hamas and cheering uh, mass slaughter It's rooted in sort of an ideological belief that Israel is an illegitimate state. I mean, it's I think it's connected some of the toxic uh, ideologies that have been let loose from the academy in our country. um, And it falsely identifies Israel as a settler colonial state and apartheid state. These are all lies. They're lies because the Jews are the indigenous people of the land of Israel. They have ties there. They're not colonizers there. They have a right to be there. Israel has a right to exist. It is not, you know, an, a, it is not a white state oppressing people of color, as some claim. You know, frankly, by the definitions of people who talk that way, the majority of, of Israeli Jews are people of color because they trace their origins in the Middle East and North Africa. You know, is, Israel isn't. A, you know, Israel wants peace with the Palestinians. It's made many offers of peace, um, which have been consistently refused because the Palestinian leaders. Both the radicals and moderates have refused to accept the existence of a Jew or legitimacy of a Jewish state, no matter where its borders are drawn. So I understand where that is rooted. I understand it comes from this ideological, false ideological construct. But we need to, number one, sweep that away. We need to to answer that as label it correctly as lies.
0: Uh, Jonathan, you you know, you you have a a very uh, strong and clear assessment of what's going on. In Israel, I need to ask you in in the in the in the status of all the bleak picture pictures that have unfolded, and in the despair that has unfolded, do you still hold on to a reservoir of hope uh, for Israel uh, getting through this?
3: Well, I'm I'm you know I'm a working journalist, so by definition, I think that means I have to be a short-term pessimist and a long-term optimist. Um, Things are hard. This is this is the, we're living through terrible times. We've lived, you and me, all of us. We've lived to see terrible things that we hoped we'd never see again as human beings. But I have faith in the people of Israel. They're not going away. They have no place to go. You know, they're not running away. They're not. They're not going to be defeated. Um, they're living through tough times, but they. I know them well enough that they are not going to allow themselves to be intimidated. And you know what? I have faith in the American people, too. You know, sometimes we try every other thing before doing the right thing. Uh, I think Churchill said something about Americans, you know, always try every other thing before they do the right thing. But I believe in the end we will. And I know Israel will. And whatever happens in these next weeks, um, Hamas is not going to win.
0: Jonathan Tobin, appreciate you being on the program tonight and your message to America and to Israel and the world. Jonathan Tobin is Editor-in-Chief of JNS Jewish News Syndicate, and we thank you again for being on America's Hope. Thank you. Back with more in just a moment. And welcome back to America's Hope. I'd like to thank our guests who appeared on tonight's program. My final word tonight is that we should reflect on what they've had to say, the stories that they've shared, stories of anger, stories of heartbreak, stories of joy in their precious memories. But most notably, their resolve to hold on to this wonderful gift called hope. You see, in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the adversity, in the midst of the darkness, the guests who talked on tonight's program mirror and reflect what so many people in America and Israel Think and pray for, and that's for hope to prevail, peace to come, and the triumph over hate with love, and in this case, a tough resolve to repel the forces of evil. Thanks for watching America's Hope Tonight, a special focus on Israel. We appreciate you. For your comments, you can write to us. Send us your emails, send us your comments. We welcome your comments. I'm Kelly Wright. Good night, America. Your America and my America.